You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. Today I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those, those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the word of the Lord. I'm hesitant to say this because I know that there are a number of English teachers in the room, but I struggle to read poetry. To me, poetry is a lot like kale or spinach. I know I should be taking it in, and I I know it's good for me, but I just don't want to. But I'm trying with poetry, not with kale. That's disgusting. And one of the books of poetry that I have read recently is called Threatened with Resurrection. It's a book by a Guatemalan poet named Julia Esquivel, and I grabbed it off the shelf at the library because the the title itself captured me, and I kept mulling it over, over and over, Threatened with Resurrection. And at first I got kind of defensive about the title. What what do you mean threatened and resurrection in the same title? But the more I think about it, the more I think it might be right on the money. If you're like me, the title doesn't make sense because you could maybe understand a title like threatened with punishment or threatened with crucifixion or or any, any other thing that we might normally associate with a threat. But I think resurrection is very, very threatening to us, if we're honest. And I think that is part of the reason why sometimes we tend to clip the wings of resurrection. In our passage for this morning, Paul is dealing with some in the Corinthian church who are denying the resurrection. And for the season of Easter, like I said in the welcome, we are traveling through Paul's argument about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We talked last week that there are all kinds of reasons why the Corinthians might be denying the resurrection. Maybe some of them felt like they couldn't believe something as primitive as the idea of a body being actually raised from the dead. Maybe some of them thought that the resurrection had already happened within their souls and the resurrection in the Bible was just kind of a a metaphor. But I think 
there might be something else going on here. I'm probably practicing psychoanalysis without a license, but I think the people in Corinth are feeling threatened by the very idea of resurrection. They clearly are. Because there's a group of them going around and saying that the idea of a resurrection is just a bunch of hippie mumbo-jumbo. In our passage, Paul says, I I I don't think you've thought this through. Because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then your faith is futile. Futile, he says. In the Greek, that's a word that means that your faith is empty. Your faith is nothing. Your faith is useless. Paul says that without the resurrection, there is no faith in Jesus Christ. So why deny it? Well, I think there's something more happening here. I think they are threatened by resurrection. And are are we threatened by the resurrection. Is it possible that we sometimes are too intimidated and scared to fully realize what resurrection really means for us? There's two stories I want to tell you that I think kind of illustrate this point. One is funny, one's not so funny. In the first story, a guy goes to see a psychiatrist and he says, Doc, I need your help. My, my brother thinks he's a chicken. And the psychiatrist says, well, describe him for me. The guy says, well, he, he pecks at the rugs, and he flaps his wings, and he cackles a lot, and he keeps making nests in the corner of the apartment. The psychiatrist says, well, this sounds like a simple case of neuroses, and I think I can help your brother, and I can cure him completely. The guy says, well, we don't want you to do that. I mean, we still want the eggs. The second story is an apocryphal story. It's a story that's told about the Apostle Peter. It's not in our Bibles, but it's a story that the early church would tell to one another. After the resurrection, Peter was walking down the street and he encountered a blind beggar. And he approached the man and he placed his hands on his eyes and he said, In the name of the resurrected Jesus, you are healed. And the man stood up, and his eyes were clearly opened. But then his face turned to rage. And he said, you fool. You have taken away my way of making a living. And he immediately gouged his eyes out and went back to begging. Are we threatened by resurrection? Because we know we're broken. We know that we are less than we should be and certainly less than we could be. And yet, yet often we're kind of comfortable in our dysfunction, if we're honest. We've kind of gotten used to it. It's like a, like a bruise that we will just not let heal. And suddenly we find ourselves being threatened by the idea of health, being threatened by the idea of new life, being threatened by resurrection, because we somehow intuitively know that resurrection means we can no longer stay the same. Resurrection forces us to change. 
That's what Paul argues in all of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says that because of the resurrection, we may no longer remain in our sins, which means there must be a changed nature that takes place within us. Every time I wade into those waters of baptism back there, there's always, if I'm honest, there's always a part of me that thinks this person has no idea what they're doing. (laughs) They have no idea what they're signing up for. Baptism is a ritual that's filled with all kinds of symbolism. The the water represents the, the cleansing nature of God's grace. But the surface of the water symbolizes something else too. It's a grave. And the words that I say as I I put my hand on that person and I lift them up and I say, Sister or brother, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here's what I say. You are buried with Christ in baptism and you are raised to walk in the newness of life. And you all clap and I think you're clapping for the newness of life part. But there's also the buried with Christ in baptism part that's a little less comfortable. Baptism is a symbol that we are dying to self so that we can be raised with a new nature. I want to read a a passage to you from from Paul's letter to the Romans because I think it captures so well how resurrection forces us to change. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection body. We know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. But whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If we truly want to be resurrection people, if we truly want to practice resurrection in our lives, we must be willing to allow the Spirit to shape us to live in a way so that we are no longer slaves to sin. Resurrection forces us to change. There's a story about the infamous Greek general Alexander the Great. He was on a a campaign in Africa at the time, and one night on the campaign he couldn't sleep, and he was tossing and turning, and he finally got up, and he wanted to wander around the make sure everybody was doing their jobs. And he happened upon a watchman who had fallen asleep. 
and he came and he sort of kicked him and the guy kind of groggily woke up and then when he realized who kicked him, he stood up really fast and Alexander the Great said, what are you doing? Do you understand that I could have you put to death? And he said, what's your name? And the soldier said, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great said, well, if your name is Alexander, you either change your name or you change your behavior. If we claim to be people of the resurrection, if we claim the name of Jesus Christ and yet we remain enslaved to our sin, we should either change our name or change our behavior. We are threatened by resurrection because we could no longer remain slaves to our sin. And, and we know that as people of the church. We know that you have to ask the Holy Spirit to, to enter within you and to help change that nature part of you. We know that. None, nothing I've said in this sermon so far would surprise church people. But I think there is some other things that can threaten us because of resurrection. I think we are threatened by resurrection because it means we can no longer cling to our fear the way that we used to. One of my favorite podcasts that I listen to is called To the Best of Our Knowledge. It's an exploration of, of different ideas in the world and it features interviews with various authors every week. And, and on each episode of the show, there's always a little moment where they ask some public thinker to give them their dangerous idea. Their dangerous idea is an idea that if people grasped it, they would change the way they live. They could no longer remain the same. A few weeks ago, there was an episode that featured a dangerous idea by the cognitive psychologist Steven Pinker. His dangerous idea was this. Today is the best time to be alive in all of human history. We live longer. For most of human history, you could expect that the average age was sometimes 30 Today in the developed world, life expectancy is greater than 80. And in the world as a whole, it's greater than 70. We are far better educated than we ever used to be. For most of human history, most people were illiterate. Now 85% of the world can read. Across the globe, disease is down, famine is down, war is down, crime is down. But I don't think most of us know this. Because if you ask the average person about the state of the world, they will likely tell you about how so many more children are being kidnapped than they're used to. Well, that's not true. Child kidnappings have never been lower. Part of the problem is that we live in a fear-based culture. And, and I know that some of you might disagree with this, but I, I feel pretty strongly about this. I think one of the most Christian things you can do in 2019 is to not watch 24-7 news channels. 
It doesn't matter which one it is, by the way. It doesn't matter. Whatever side of the aisle you on, whichever side it is, they all have the same narrative. And it is be afraid. Be very, very afraid. And whatever your chosen political persuasion is, there's a channel that'll cater to you and tell you to be afraid of the people on the other side. They play on your fears. One plays on the fears of conservatives and a bunch of others play on the fears of liberals. But it's all fear-based. Turn those channels off. They are terrible. And I don't completely blame the channels, though. And here's why. Because they're businesses. They're businesses that run on the same idea that all businesses do, supply and demand. We have created these channels, you and I, because our fear is marketable. Our fear is campaignable. Our fear makes us vulnerable and ignorant. We are a fear obsessed people. And that that fear is causing us to become more and more polarized from each other. Extremist groups on both sides of the aisle are finding a foothold because they are able to tell people who they should be afraid of. Now don't misunderstand me. There are some things we should be afraid of. Some anxiety and some fear is healthy and is the only proper response to what life can hurl at us at times. And there are some people out there who suffer from anxiety issues that are not within their control. But our culture, our culture has allowed us to be defined by fear. And the resurrection, the resurrection is the good news that we do not have to be dominated by fear because we know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sin is defeated, death is defeated, and one day God's kingdom will be fully realized on this earth. How would knowing that and believing that change the way you live? I have to to confess to you all that I'm not really a big baseball fan, and I know you can burn me at the stake after the service, but I just don't care about baseball. I just really don't. Uh, I've tried, just like Kale, I've tried. But there was one time in my life when I was obsessed with baseball, and that was the fall of 2015. Because when you live in Kansas City, and the Royals are in the second World Series they've been in since 1985, everyone's a Royals fan. And it was such a fantastic World Series that year. The Royals were this powerhouse team, and they always saved their best plays for the eighth or the ninth inning. And finally, it was like a movie. It came down to game five in New York City against the Mets. And if the Royals won... They won the World Series. 
Game five took place on November 1st, and, but I was not able to watch the game that night because I had a work meeting in Columbia, Missouri. While the game was on, I was frantically driving on the abomination that is I-70. And I was frantically searching for an AM station to try to find the game. And, and, and I found it, and I was able to listen to the first half of the game. However, this weird thing happened where the closer I got to Kansas City, the less I could hear the game. I scanned the stations, but I could not find the game anywhere. I was yelling at the radio. The last I heard, it was the sixth inning, and the Royals were down 0-2. to two. The night grew on, and, and I knew that the game must have been close to over, so I decided I'm just going to wait until I get home to find out what happened. I don't want to spoil this. I don't want to know what happened. I'll just turn the radio off or listen to music, and, and I'll get home, and I'll figure it out. So I didn't pull into my driveway until about midnight, and the, the street was still and quiet, and I was grabbing my backpack out of my car, and I was just about to walk in the house, and just as I was about to get in the house, my neighbor burst out of his door in his boxers and said, Yeah, Royals win! So I just went to bed. The next morning, I was eating breakfast, I was getting ready for work, and I decided, Hey, I, I want to watch the end of this game. So I found a video on YouTube that had the final six innings of the game against the express permission of Major League Baseball. And as I watched the game, the Royals were still down by two all the way to the top of the ninth inning. Even though I knew they won, I still found myself thinking, how are they going to pull this off? The Mets' Matt Harvey is an unstoppable pitcher. There's no way they could do this. But then, in the ninth inning, they tied, thanks to Eric Hosmer, and after 12 innings, they won. I knew they win. Yet I still felt the tension of, how are they going to do this? What's going to happen? But I knew. I already knew. And it caused me to watch the game differently. If you take the resurrection seriously... Prepare yourself, because you are no longer a slave to sin, and your behavior must change. If you take the resurrection seriously, you are no longer allowed, allowed to be dominated by fear. Because no matter what others tell you to be afraid of, you know how the game ends. And if you've been baptized, those same words have been spoken over you, friends. You have been buried with Christ in baptism. And, and you have been raised to walk in the newness of life. And sisters and brothers, consider that a threat. Let's pray. God, we seek to be your people of the resurrection. We seek to be people who invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, who, who work to move and change and shape and mold us 
so that we are given a new identity and a new nature that we find in you and in the hope of the resurrection. God, we admit that we are fearful and that we are ignorant and we are in need of the hope that comes not through our own efforts but only comes through you. Help us to be people who have hearts that are able to be molded and shaped into who you are calling us to be. And help us to recognize that when we are threatened by resurrection, it is so that we can walk in the newness of life and that our self may be buried. In the name of the risen Christ we pray. Amen.